Hey everybody, it's that time again. It's Halloween. So of course we have a special episode for you. Just like last year, last year we dove into an article from 1886 about 19th century Halloween traditions in Ireland, but we didn't finish the article. So that must be remedied. It also describes traditions in Scotland and at sea, whatever that means. So that's what we're going to find out about today. Let's finish the article. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. Just like last year, once again, we have our special Halloween co-hosts, Pete. Hi, we're back. <laughs> and Megan. Hey, guys. Sorry, now we're back. There's two of us. <laughs> now we're back. We're. Let's make this grammatically correct. Pete. Sorry. So, <laughs> just a little bit about Pete and Megan. Both of them actually are artists, mainly working in 3D, pretty much, right? Both yep. of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Building stuff and doing stuff. Pete, what, what's one thing that you're working on right now? Well, right now, by the time the podcast comes out, it'll be the end of October. Mm-hmm. And I'm working on uh, something called Inktober. So every day there's a word prompt, and I drew a drawing based on the prompt. That's actually 2D then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. right now that okay. was 2D, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So right, right now it's ink on paper. So What's 2D. your favorite one so far? Uh, so far, the coolest one that I had was uh, Sword. Okay. I did a Sword in the Stone. Mm-hmm. And that one was pretty cool. Okay. Oh, so the sword was the prompt. The prompt was sword. And then yep. you interpreted as sword and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And how about you, Megan? Um, I do mostly 3D stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I am working on right now a wearable sculpture that is this box that's a back ta- backpack. And you take it off and it unfolds in all these layers and has legs so it's kind of like a traveling salesman backpack and <laughs> traveling <it's>... salesman <laughs> yeah like not for traveling salesman but it unfolds into a traveling salesman oh no it's for traveling salesman so it's like the nomadic um has to walk around with the backpack apothecary but it has... <laughs> person traveling salesman is selling alchemical items yes (laughs) so there's all these little tiny it's filled with hundreds of tiny glass vials (laughs) okay nice and and the backpack itself has legs so it's like that are extend out of it so it's like he has an assistant golem that also is his backpack or something no they're like metal legs like chair legs or something oh okay yeah Okay, so it unfolds into like a bench or something mm-hmm. for him. Yeah, but yeah, it kind folds of a out. So like, the the doors fold out a couple times. There's mm-hmm. a top part that folds out, and, and it compacts there's... into a little box. Yeah. All right, well, very cool. That's a very um, very creative. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and weird in the best way possible. Yep. Um, very cool. All right, well, should we get to our article for today? Yes, Okay. continuation. Yes, so, yeah, it's a continuation of last year's article because we weren't able to finish it last year. We just got through the Irish part, but there are actually three parts to it, Irish, Scottish, and at sea. And since this is a public domain theater 3000, and in those I don't actually read the article beforehand, it's supposed to be us all, including the listener, encountering it for the first time at the same time together, so I don't know what at sea means. So, you did, no so you've idea. been waiting this whole time. I've been holding myself off for a year. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> See, and I went back and re-listened to us from last year. So I, I remember a little bit about it. So, right. but of, of, the, of the Irish, of the part, Irish yeah, one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more. this article is from 1886. It was published in Harper's Monthly, and it's by William Sharp, and it's entitled Halloween, A Threefold Chronicle. And last year, in the Irish version, we heard the spooky tale of Red Mike's Rest. Red Mike. Yes. <laughs> and we learned about the dumb cake ceremony. And there was something about uh, defining about... your future husband with, like, molten lead yeah, or yeah, yeah. something. Was it lead? It was lead. Okay. Yeah. You put molten lead in, in a bucket. Yeah. And then how it how it cools, the forms that it makes, and will suggest something about mm-hmm. 
I just remember the apple thing. Yep. Oh, yeah. The snap apple. Yeah. Which is, it seemed to me like you basically win if you don't burn your face off. Yeah. Or <laughs> poke yourself in the eye. Yeah. There's like a burning candle on one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go back and listen to that one if you're interested, listener. Yeah. All right. So let's find out about Scottish traditions and at sea. So we'll start with the Scottish part. Part two, in Scotland. In the last week of a certain October, I got an invitation from a connection in whose genial household I had spent many a happy Halloween. An answer in the affirmative was at once sent to the Shaws, as my friend Campbell's place was called. Lil- Linlithgow. Oh yeah, that's right. There's all these Lots <laughs> very difficult to pronounce very words difficult in pronounced that's words right. and names. Linlithgow was little more than an hour's railway drive from Glasgow. But though I reached the old town shortly after four o'clock, it was quite dark, partly owing to the dense mass of dull gray snow clouds that obscured the sky. When, after a drive of half an hour, I wonder at that speed how far he got in half an hour. Probably right? Yeah. <laughs> probably to the end of his driveway. <laughs> right? Well, that and the other thing that I remember, well, after that sentence, they're yeah. so descriptive, like cloudies. Yeah. And... Well, this was their TV back then. That's yeah. true. So, when, after a drive of half an hour, the dog cart stopped before... Oh, it's not even a car. Oh. No. The dog cart stopped before... It's a before... dog cart, though. That's weird. Sorry. Before the old manor house, the first of the winter storms had fairly set in, and the great flakes of snow were whirling wildly under the branches of the beeches, oaks, and elms that lined the avenue, seeming, indeed, as if they had straggled out of the adjacent forest of Polmont for that very purpose. After dinner, we went forth in a party, a small one, and well protected with wraps owing to the steady snowstorm outside, to witness the pulling of the kale stalks. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe Scottish hipsters from the 19th century? (laughs) Or maybe this is like the Irish one where they go out to the cabbage patch, the one where they look and see... Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. There was like something with turnips or Turnips. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the house servants, and of course all the dairymaids and farm girls, as well as all the young men in the neighborhood, had come together in the great kitchen of the home farm. Some of them, and the older and young folk, were busy with preparations for all the customary festivities. No engaged, and of course no married persons, can participate in the kaling. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Coming a to a theater near you. <laughs> yes. I love it. <laughs> And it's it's in like quotes there, like <laughs> the killing, the killing. <laughs> the dun, right, dun, dun. <laughs> the right way is for two young people. In some parts of the country, it must be two of one sex. In others, each pair must consist of youth and lass, hmm. to go hand in hand, blindfolded, out into the kale or cabbage yard, and there pull the first stalks they meet with, returning at once to the fireside when they are unbandaged and left to read their matrimonial fortunes as foretold in the kale stocks. Ah, oh, yeah, there's mm. always got to be divining going on. Some sort mm-hmm. of divining. Yeah. It's always about what boy or girl you're going to meet, too. In the notes to his poem, Burns has explained the method of prediction. According as the stock is big or little, straight or crooked, so shall the future wife or husband be of the party by whom it is pulled, the quantity of yerd, or earth, sticking to the root denotes the amount of toker, i.e. fortune or dowry, and the taste of the pith, or kustuk, indicates the temper. Finally, the stalks, or runts, are placed one after another over the door, and the Christian names of the persons who chance thereafter to enter the house are held in the same succession to indicate those of the individual's whom the parties are to marry. Ah, okay. Huh. So each of the different parts of the kale plant give you some signify dip. something, and okay. it sounds like they're hung. And then whoever next visits the house, is I somehow guess so. The Christian the names of the persons who chance thereafter to enter the house are held in the same succession to indicate those of the individuals whom the parties are to marry. 
Yeah, but the thing that I thought was interesting was how much dirt is attached to the roots is how <laughs> much how wealthy they'll be. Yeah, oh. got a lot of dirt. Yeah, <laughs> you got a lot of dirt. And that was uh, that was yird. They called it yird. Y-I-R-D. Yird mm. or earth sticking to the root denotes the amount of toker, fortune, or dowry. Huh. Yeah. Not necessarily their personal wealth, but like how much you get when you get married. Oh, that's yeah. right. Huh. That's interesting. Could you remind me what year this was in? Do you remember what year? Eight- 1886 is 1886. when they're writing. Yeah. If we did this at my house, like everybody would just get married to Andres. It'd just be nothing but Andres because he's always coming up. Anyway. <laughs> With much amusement, all watched the fortune seekers of the night. A huge carter named Jock Micklejohn. Jock Micklejohn. A man about six feet two stolidly allowed himself to be coupled with a bouncing partner and without the slightest apparent interest pulled the first cabbage stalk he came across. Great laughter, however, came from everyone at the rueful expression which stole over his honest face when he saw what augury of the future had been vouchsafed to him. A dumpy, crooked little kale stalk, <laughs> devoid of a particle of yurd. Aww. <laughs> so, no dowry or, or fortune. And sounded like crooked and short, so <laughs> ugly and small, maybe? I guess and, so. Who knows? Or did crooked mean that, like, the crooked. other synonym of crooked, like, well, yurd, like... Like shifty? Evil. Shifty, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know about, like, 18th century Scottish slang. Mm. I don't know. Or 19th century Scottish slang. Either way, it doesn't sound... It doesn't sound too Favorable. appealing. Yeah. Taste the kustak, Jack. Taste the pith, mon, came from many of his tormentors. <laughs> <laughs> but while he mournfully shook his head, a pretty girl undertook the experiment on his behalf, and when her wry face showed what the real or pretended taste of the kustak was, everyone laughed louder than before, and Jock's cup of misery was full. <laughs> Do you think a gawk tay believe uh, this tomfoolery? And again, listener, this is just written that way. It's like written phonetically. So I'm not trying to make fun of Scottish people. It's literally difficult to pronounce. <laughs> I heard him muttering to a sympathetic friend, though I noticed that the gloom of his predicted fate oppressed him throughout the whole evening. While others were trying their fortune, I spoke to Mr. MacDonald, the bailiff, asking him if the superstition had any real hold upon the people in the neighborhood. Well, sir, it's dying out. Schooling and railways and the rest are bad for old customs like these. In some arts, the pulling of the kale stocks is, no to be, is not to be seen at a... That's the end of that clause. <laughs> not to be seen at a... In others, it's lingering on among the farm folk. But every here and there, it's believed in as firmly as it was in the day or grandfathers. Hmm. Hmm. So Meanwhile, maybe it sounds like it's going by the wayside, but some people still some believe people it still believe out in the it, farms. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. hmm. I think it was just suggestions. Like, hmm. who around me should I marry? Hey, okay. <laughs> you look. You look. The the kale told me I should marry you. So. But the problem is, like, okay, if an Angus comes in, it you got to marry somebody that whose name is also Angus. Then mm-hmm. it says right, mm-hmm. or something like that. Something and like that. so, yeah. it would be awkward if then you married that very Angus. Like, oh, I guess we're engaged. Guess. So then you got to wait around until a whole other Angus comes. Mm-hmm. Well, not only that, but after Hall- the Halloween tradition, would you stop November? Nobody shows up. Well, I don't want to get married. I can't go over to your house. Oh. <laughs> or do you actually, like, on purpose go over to your crush's house so uh. that you're, like, the first one so you <laughs> get to marry them? Oh, the stratagems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Meanwhile, two washing tubs had been placed in the center of the great kitchen, and round them was gathered an eager company intensely enjoying the fun of the apple dipping. In the cold water bobbed about a few rosy-cheeked apples, so round and red and tempting, and yet so slippery, so apparently aggravatingly coy, (laughs) that the excitement of the participators in the dipping grew almost into frenzy. That's apparently the sequel. It's the dipping. The dipping. Yeah, the sipping. Sequel horror movie. (laughs) Now and again, some youngster grew desperate. 
and thrusting his head and neck below the icy water, pursued an apple till he had pinned it against the bottom and then grabbed it with his teeth. One young fellow, whose carroty locks had been plentifully bear's greased in honor of the festivity... <laughs> bear greased? Uh, I don't know. That's just what it says. Wait, the guy was bear greased? Yeah, his, his hair, his carroty locks were bear's greased, it hmm. says. Okay. And perhaps of some fair farm girl caused great laughter. With utmost caution, he advanced his protruding lips toward a large pippin as it bobbed toward him, and it seemed as if the next moment his teeth would be firmly fixed in it. A slight wobble, however, sent it bumping against his nose, and then away it swam with quite a coquettish little hitch, just, <laughs> just as if it knew what was going on and relished the fun as much as anyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta get me. Boop. Nope. <laughs> Okay, did you guys ever do apple bobbing like in elementary school or anything? I think so. I remember doing it, and I remember it not being that much fun. Oh, I agree. It was (laughs) never seemed that much fun. (laughs) It was really getting into it. (laughs) Well, I think it was one of those like you got to remember this is the time where they don't have TV or exactly right. They got to make their own fun. They got to make their own fun, and to do that, you bring a bucket of water and you laugh at somebody because they can't grab water yeah. or grab the apple also do you know the dichotomy between the irish with the fire game and here with the icy water oh. in scotland oh i hadn't thought of that yeah. i don't know the fire sounds a little more badass than just a bucket of water yeah. but you yeah. do end up with an apple so. that's yeah. true well, of course and... it's a matter of being burned versus being drowned so <laughs> well and that and like of the two which one do we still kind of do today? Oh, That's true. okay. There's a winner. All right. That's true. Reckless of all consequences to his carefully brushed and richly greased locks, <laughs> he plunged his head deep into the water and grubbed about frantically for the aggravating Pippin. Pippin. A, ro- <laughs> a roar of laughter came from all around as the latter was seen to bob up close behind Red Hair's head. The latter, all unconscious of the fact, and with closed eyes still struggling with adverse fate. So everybody can see that the apple is nowhere near where he's trying. He's still trying to get it in this icy water. (laughs) Oh, man. Further away around the huge fireplace sat and stood a number of laughing lads and lasses, finding their existent or expected courtship imaged forth for them in the way the nuts and the red-hot bars or among the coals blazed and sputtered. No better description could be given than Burns' well-known lines. Well, that's kind of cool, because if you go back to the Irish one, they've got the divining in the cold water with the lead. With the lead, and yeah. And now the divining's in the fire. Yeah, and also I had the divining before with the with the root of the... The kale? Kale. kale. The, yeah, kale. kale. The, the other one, wasn't it like cabbage? It was something like that. It's either a turnip like or a cabbage. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he says that it, uh, no one could have said it better than Burns, and so he quotes Burns' poetry here. The old guidwife's wheel-hearted knits are round and round divided, and money lads and lasses' fates are there that night decided. Some kindle kuthi side by side and burn together trimly. Some start away with saucy pride and jump out over the chimney for high the night. Jean sips. <laughs> this is really hard. <laughs> Jean slips in twa with tweeny e. What, what was she wadna tell? But this is Jock and this is me. She says and to herself, he bleased o'er her, on she o'er him, as they wad never mere part till fuff. <laughs> he started up the lum, and Jean had e'en a seer heart. To see it that night. Nell had the Faust house in her min. She pits herself on Robin. In loving pleas they sweetly join. Till white in ace their sobbin. Nell's heart was dancing at the view. She whispered Rob to look for it. Rob Stolens pried her bonny mow. Fucosi in the nook fort unseen that night. There. Now we uh, all understand. Of course. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Crystal clear. <laughs> I don't know if any of those were actually words. <laughs> well, Robert Burns was famous for taking the local dialect and putting it into poetry. 
And oftentimes, like, lines would only rhyme if pronounced the way a Scottish person would pronounce them. Oh, if I remember oh that's correctly. cool. So it was kind of a new thing yeah. at the time. Huh. The still lingering superstitious practices of the sark sleeve, the stalks of corn, the kiln pot, the sowing of hemp seed, the Halloween winnowing, the bean stack, the three dishes, and the looking glass are to all intents customs of a bygone day. The writer has only personally met with the hemp seed and the three luggies. So that was just a big list of things. Of things that used to be done, I guess. Huh. Yeah. No explanation necessary. (laughs) (laughs) All deal with the same matter of interest, namely, the state of one's future husband or wife. Mm. Okay. In the winnowing ceremony... Oh, okay, we get it. In the winnowing ceremony, it is necessary for the experimentalist to go alone to the barn and to be unperceived by anyone. He should then, if he can manage it, unhinge the doors. For, as Burns says... There is danger that the being who is about to appear may shut the doors and work his summoner some mischief. Hmm. The next thing is to take the flail, or wecked, and go through all the attitudes of letting down corn against the wind. You guys know what a flail is, right? Yeah. For threshing. Yeah. Yeah. The action must be thrice repeated. And the third time an apparition will pass through the barn, in at the windy door and out at the other, having the features and figure and marks of the station in life of the seer's future partner. Ah, okay, so so there's going to be a ghost that passes through the barn, Mm -hmm. in one door and out the other, and if they look rich, then you're going to marry a rich person. But if it looks like just some hobo ghost, then good luck. Ah. <laughs> That's what I got out of that. Yeah. That seems like a really frivolous use of an apparition. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, you also go by yourself. So nobody would actually know what you saw, if you even saw anything. Yeah, so anything. you could make it up. Yeah. You could totally make it up. The Sark Sleeve is another weird ceremony. The eager prior into futurity must go out after dark to a south-running streamlet where three laird's lands meet, whatever that means, and in the flowing water thereof dip his left shirt sleeve. What? On, On returning to the house, he must go to bed in sight of a fire, having first hung his shirt before it to dry, exactly resembling the future partner in life will glide up to the shirt and turn the wet sleeve as if to dry the other side of it. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Again, okay. very frivolous uses of apparitions. Yeah. <laughs> well, and how bummed would you be if, for one, you didn't, you fell asleep and didn't get to see this uh-huh. apparition, or if no one came and the next morning just only one side of your sleeve was dry? Ah, yeah, that would be depressing, but mm-hmm. maybe not as depressing as necessarily marrying a launderer, because it seems That's like true. every coast that comes through is just going <laughs> to deal with your laundry. Yeah. <laughs> but with the other thing, it's only your left sleeve. Mm-hmm. Left side versus right side? I don't know. Mm-hmm. How far? Do you stick your whole arm or just... Just the cuff? Maybe just a little bit of it, probably. Enough that you could tell if it was dry or not, I suppose. That makes sense. Needless to say, there are many stories extant of sark sleeve apparitions, mostly accounted for in each case by the fact that the swain did not go to bed without freely screwing up his courage with strong barley bry. In sowing the hemp... I don't know what barley bry is. That's probably and alcohol that's made what I, from barley. Yeah I, yeah, I figure it's probably some kind of, of spirits. Yeah. In sowing the hemp seed, the same imaginary performance must be gone through as in the case of the winnowing the corn. So I think that, that was the one with the barn, barn. right? Barn, yep. yep. That is, one must steal out unperceived and sow a handful of hemp seed harrowing it with anything that can conveniently be drawn after one. On repeating now and then, hemp seed I sow thee, hemp seed I sow thee, and him, or her, that is to be my true love, 
come after me and poe thee. And on looking over the left shoulder, the apparition of the person invoked will be seen in the attitude of pulling hemp. Hmm. Hmm. And again, it's the left side. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe, like, left is well, kind of like the... the well, closer to the heart. You could say that. But also, like, right is, like... There's a, there's always been this kind of, like, thing where, like, the right side is almost morally right and the left side is kind of, like, devious and dubious. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. It could be something to do with that, too. Okay, the next one. The kiln trial is perhaps even more eerie. Burns again is responsible for the following explanation. Steal out all alone to the kiln and darkling. Throw into the pot a clue of blue yarn. Wind it in a new clue off the old one. And toward the latter end, something will hold the thread. Demand wahads, <laughs> i.e. who holds. An answer will be returned from the kiln pot, naming the Christian and surname of your future spouse. Well, that's pretty accurate. Mm. Wow. <laughs> First name and last name. Yeah. Full name. From a talking pot. And yarn. That's Angus again. Damn it. <laughs> Angus McGangus. Fuck. <laughs> Dang. The beanstack ceremony is calculated to try the nerves of an excitable person more than any other Halloween rite, except perhaps the looking glass spell. Mm. The first stipulation characterizes each of these rites, viz, I never knew what viz meant, something in Latin, viz, the necessity of proceeding alone and unnoticed. One must then go to a beanstack, fathom it round three times, and just as this is accomplished, you will catch in your arms the apparition of your future conjugal yoke fellow. Your conjugal yoke fellow. Yeah. All right. That's what the kids are calling it these days. Apparently. <laughs> Should bring that back. <laughs> A much more social and less dubious experiment is that of the three luggies or dishes. Mm. On the hearthstone, the three chosen vessels are placed, one of them containing clean water, another turbid, and the last being empty. Do you guys know what turbid means? I have no, no. idea what that Let's means. Let's find out. It's a good word, whatever. Turbid, yeah. Turbid. That wasn't even a, on my GRE test. Turbid, <laughs> of a liquid, cloudy, opaque, or thick with suspended matter. And how was it used again? Okay, so one of one of the dishes contains clean water, another turbid, so cloudy, Okay. and the last being empty. Huh. Okay. okay. Blindfolded, the person about to essay his or her fortune is led up to where the dishes stand. If she, supposing the questioner to be a woman, chances to dip her hand, which, by the by, must be the left one, hmm. yeah, you something, into the clean water, then her future spouse will come to the marriage altar a bachelor. If in the turbid water, then he will be a widower, and if by ill luck she dips her finger into the tomb or empty dish, then it is a sure sign that she will never be married at all. Oh, no. It is vice versa, of course, in the case of a man being the inquirer. In either case, however, the ceremony must be gone through three times and correctly each time. Otherwise, the predictions have no value. So you go through it three times and you have to accidentally pick the same dish three times? Not yeah. your right hand, your left hand. The left hand. <laughs> yeah, they have to all match. Or... That, okay. Blindfolded. I think there'd be a lot of inconclusive test trials at that. Maybe maybe, maybe it'd be like, okay, maybe it's close if you get like two out or three. Or, or maybe your friends are kind of like moving the pots around so you keep, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Many may remember the humorous stanza in Burns' poem. In order on the clean hearth stands, the luggies three are ranged, and every time great care is taken to see them duly changed, and Uncle John, while wedlock's joys in Mary's year did desire, because he gat the tomb dish thrice, he heaved them on the fire in wrath that night. Table flip. <laughs> that was like a rage quit. <laughs> yeah, he just like, this is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> a strange story connected with the looking glass rite came under my notice thousands of miles away from Scotland, which, as it is short... I shall be able to narrate in the space at my command. But first I must say that still another quotation from Burns's poem should be made in connection 
with that delightful evening at the Shaw's, now, alas, gone out of my possession of the family who had owned it for ten generations. For blithe that night we were indeed, and of all there it might barely be said, where merry sangs and friendly cracks I wet they didna weary, where unca tales and funny jokes their sports were cheap and cheery. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the end of the Scottish one. That was quick. That was nice. Yeah. So it was almost all divination. Yeah. Was there anything that wasn't divination? Bobbing for apples. I guess bobbing for apples is the only one. Yeah. Yeah. The only one that I'm a little disappointed in when they did that huge list was, I think it was called the Looking Glass. Yeah, they didn't explain the Looking Glass. I was like, he mentioned it twice, and I was like, yes, he's going to say it. Nope. Nope. Oh. (laughs) So... William Sharp. Yeah. Probably was something similar to all the other ones where it's like, oh, do these things, and suddenly you'll see a ghost. You'll see a ghost that looks like, just like you in the looking glass. In the looking glass, in a yeah. mirror. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Or uh, the ghost would look like the person you're going to marry. Probably. <laughs> That's what I'm. All I see is my reflection. It's me. <laughs> I'm gonna marry myself. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you guys ready for this? The last section is. At sea. Yes, I'm excited for this one. So I, I don't. I. What is this even going to be? I mean, was he like on a ship, and they just happened to be doing some Halloween celebrations? Yeah. Maybe or is they're... it like some kind of like maritime culture, like piratey? Thing? Yeah, maybe or... it's pirates or sailors. Pirates. It's <laughs> pirates. <laughs> okay, pirates. Yeah, parrots. Pirates. Pirates and parrots. <laughs> or maybe it's like. A ghost story about a pirate ship. Could be. But it's Halloween traditions, though. So True. I don't know. All right, let's find out. Okay. At sea. For three days, we had been driving along before a fierce westerly gale. The Glenleon, as our stout ship was called, had left the west of Scotland more than two months before, and now we were rather more than halfway between the Cape of Good Hope and that Cape Otway, which would be the first glimpse of Australia we would have. Hmm. The captain had informed us at breakfast that toward the late afternoon we should probably sight St. Paul's, that loneliest and most desolate of islands in the track of any great trade route. But our pleasure was a little damped by the additional information that unless the wind fell rapidly, he might not only have to give the barren isle a wide berth, but also that our projected Halloween sports would not be feasible... Come on, winds, tie down. (laughs) For we were as scotch all around as could well be the case. (laughs) I don't know what that means. The Glenlian. Scottish? Uh, Maybe? Or they were all drunk. I think it has to be drunk. (laughs) (laughs) We wouldn't say we were as American as could be that day, you know? True. (laughs) Well, maybe you could if you're acting American, particularly. I don't know. Or maybe it means both, because you're extra Scottish. You drink a lot of scotch. If you drink a lot of scotch. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. The Glenlion had built on the Clyde and belonged to a famous Glasgow shipping company. The officers all hailed from the land of cakes. (laughs) So unlike Minnesota, where we are, which is the land of lakes, right? The land of cakes. The land of cakes cakes sounds considerably more delicious. Mm -hmm. As did the crew with the exception of the English steward and a couple of Swedish seamen. And of the 30 cabin and second cabin passengers, there was only one who had the misfortune, as he was often jokingly reminded, to belong to another nationality. (laughs) (laughs) Misfortune. Wait, but they never said, where is the land of cakes? So I think, yeah, the officers all hailed from the land of cakes. Yeah, so as did the crew... With the exception of the English steward, so it can't be England. It's not England. Nope. And and a couple of Swedish seamen, so it it's can't not be Sweden. Swedish. So maybe it's Scotland because that's maybe. what we we're talking about. But it could be Ireland because actually we're into the next. No, he said these people here were Scotch all round. So hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Land of cakes. Land of cakes. Where would are you looking it up? Cakes. Apparently, it's someplace. Manchester or Scotland, if you Google it. Okay. Oh, okay. okay. There's also Land of Cakes in uh, New York, which is a cake <laughs> okay. company. So it's <laughs> possible. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I like though that they've got the the one nationality that's the, the odd guy out. And <laughs> we just can't say. Yeah, this is, the, this is the 19th century after all, so they're just they're probably making some really awful racist jokes. Could be. Thus, it was quite natural that we should wish to keep Halloween as best we could under the circumstances. But the only custom it was in our power to observe was that of dipping for apples. Boring. <laughs> it needs more fire. What if you dipped in the ocean, though? Ooh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Maybe the challenge is that there's sharks underneath. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's real snap apple. <laughs> this, however, would prove impossible unless the sea greatly moderated, for it was all the steadiest of us could do to keep our feet at all. So I guess it's rocking a lot. So they are doing it. And maybe that's why they couldn't do their sports. Maybe the, the deck is rocking too much. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that's why the wind has to die down. Mm-hmm. That could that, be. I guess mm-hmm. that all comes together. Mm-hmm. But they're bobbing for apples on the ship as it's rocking? I think rocking? they want to, but they can't do it right now because they're barely oh, holding on. That makes sense. Yeah. But that seems like the only one they can feasibly do in this oh, condition. Sh- Even right now, they still can't. Hmm. About half an hour after noon, however, the wind died away completely. Or rather, it seemed to do so. For, as a matter of fact, there was still enough pressure to prevent the mainsail from idly flapping to and fro. Nevertheless, so threatening was the aspect of the sea that none of us expected there would be any material change before night, if then. The writer has sailed on many seas, but not even off the iron coast of Tierra del Fuego has he seen such enormous billows as those that followed the Glenlion that 31st of October, far down in the Southern Ocean. Is it Tierra del Fuego famous from um, Darwin's Origin Species? I know he wrote about the Galapagos Islands, but wasn't the Tierra del Fuego also something? might have been from a different explorer. Maybe. It might have been from a different explorer, or but maybe it sounds familiar. went past or through there during... Yeah. I'm just thinking briefly. that that would maybe be like on the minds of his readers at the, at the time. That could be. Because of that. But not even off the iron coast of Tierra del Fuego has he seen such enormous billows as those that followed the Glenlion that 31st of October, far down in the southern ocean. Huge masses of lustrous emerald, with an enormous crown of white foam on their summits, they rolled their vast volume of water after and alongside our vessel, much in the way that a herd of wild horses might career round a flying pony which any moment they might overwhelm and crush to death. Uh, so is he talking about the rocks? Huge masses of lustrous emerald with an enormous crown of white foam. Okay, I so that's, that's the waves, yeah. I think. But again, why would you have they rolled emerald? their vast volume of water well, after the water I so I think green. so I think the waves he's comparing to the horses and the ship to the pony that the other horses could crush. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Nor has he ever seen any turbulent sea subside with such extraordinary rapidity. In the early morning, with the gale passed away but the wind still fresh, these gigantic billows had been so terrible that if they had not been avoided by the most skillful steering, it would have gone badly with our vessel. A1 1400-tonner, though she was, by noon they were still phenomenally large and magnificent, but by four o'clock there was a marked subsidence, and two hours later the sea was, comparatively speaking, quite moderate. Twilight arrived, without our catching any glimpse of St. Paul's, much to our disappointment, as for two months we had sighted no land whatever, but this was partly owing to a slight mist that hung away to starboard, for we were really in close proximity to the island. I think you read that wrong, Brendan. It's, we've sighted no land whatsoever. Whatever. (laughs) <laughs> or just whatever just land <laughs> whatever <laughs> screw you land <laughs> in tin wash cans potato tins and other vessels were soon bobbing about a number of apples turned out by the steward in liberal quantity by the command of captain bennett every now and again a sudden lurch of the ship would send one or more of these flying over and great was the agility displayed in the efforts to escape wetting and loud the laughter that greeted every mishap. The passengers of both cabins and most of the crew indulged in the amusement as heartily as if they had all been schoolboys, and of course the few children were in a perfect frenzy of delight. They had children on this ship? Apparently. Yeah, I mean, you usually have a cabin boy or two that 
Uh, I guess out. so. Well, it mentions men and women, so it might be a passenger ship. If Could it be. had women and children on there too. That explains why a writer is aboard as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could be a passenger ship going to Australia. Mm-hmm. At length, the last apple was disposed of, and nearly everyone turned his or her attention to the music and dancing that immediately began. On the foredeck, some of the sailors had dressed themselves in fantastic costumes, and as they sprung to and fro to the shrill sounds of the cock's fiddle of the cooks, and as they sprung... <laughs> two very different fiddles. <laughs> and as they sprung to and fro to the shrill sounds of the cook's fiddle while the red gleam of the galley fire or the foremast lantern flashed across them the scene was at once wild and picturesque life movement loud laughter brilliant light and shifting shadow within these planks without the dark shoreless sea the long waves heavily rising and falling and above the vague whiteness of the sails stretching cloud-like up toward the mysterious depths of heaven. A little later, leaning over the taffrail on the poop, I was joined by a fellow passenger. After some conversation, Anent... That's literally the word there. Anent. A-N-E-N-T. After some conversation, Anent, our varied experiences of Halloween, he confided to me a strange story of an event which had happened in his own family of which the following is a condensed account. As I have already hinted, this story deals with the looking glass superstition. Yes! yes. yes. <laughs> ah. The anticipation. <laughs> right at the end. Maybe there's more to it than just seeing the ghost form of your, who you're going to marry. Some 10 or 12 years ago, a family named Falconer had an estate in western Perthshire the family consisting, besides husband and wife, of three daughters. A short distance away lived some neighbors of the name Morgan. The only son of John Morgan, Ralph, was only 17 years old, and Madge, the youngest daughter of the Falconers, only 14, yet they managed to fall in love with each other. Aww. Of course, their boy and girl passion was not as deep as that of lovers of maturer age, but at the same time, it was ardent and sincere enough to exercise a strong influence on their lives. Hmm. At last came news of young Ralph's appointment to a good position on a coffee plantation in Ceylon, which is Sri Lanka. So in other words, he gets to go and be like the whip-cracking colonist, basically, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exploiting the locals to make coffee. And before leaving home, he determined to speak to Mr. Falconer concerning his love for Madge. But though, after the confession was duly made, the young girl's father did not absolutely prohibit her entertaining the idea of ultimate marriage with Ralph Morgan. <laughs> okay, so, but <laughs> that was a convoluted sentence there. So okay, so, before leaving home, he determined to speak to Mr. Falconer concerning his love for Madge. Mm -hmm. But though... After the confession was duly made, the young girl's father did not absolutely prohibit her entertaining the idea of ultimate marriage with Ralph Morgan. He insisted that there should be no engagement, explicit or tacit, until she was of age and in a better position to be sure of her sentiments. He's probably much more worried about getting a good dowry or something or yeah. mm -hmm. being able to provide it, some, however it works in their culture. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Or it's one of those, you, like he said, you can't, you, you can have that idea, but let him go off and do his own thing and grow up and then come back. Because they mentioned that it's when they were younger, mm -hmm. it's not a mature love or whatever. That's mm -hmm. true. But again, it's the 19th century and I, I think they were still marrying fairly young back then, weren't they? Yeah, That's true. but she might also, because she's 14, she might also still have a few years and so maybe he's hoping to find someone else yeah marrier to, Could to be. like you know better family connection yeah. yeah so he's like well we'll just play it by ear yeah the gentleman's agreement <laughs> i'll pencil it in yes <laughs> pencil it in. <laughs> we'll leave the ad up on craigslist a little bit longer <laughs> you're my you're my backup marriage <laughs> right coffee plantationer in sri lanka eh, not bad so the matter had to remain. Years passed, not without occasional correspondence, 
But slowly the love of the girl for her absent lover faded, though it did not quite pass away. A November was almost at hand. A November wherein Madge's 21st birthday would arrive. Oh, so it's been seven years? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, that's quite a long time then. Yeah, that, that's a fair amount. And at, at this time, 21, that's pretty old for a woman to not be married <laughs> you know, yet. Yeah, you know, like 22, you're already a spinster yeah, or something, you're... right? So. <laughs> but before this family festival came round, there was the still greater annual one of Halloween. In the midst of the fun of the evening, a sudden fancy seized the youngest Miss Falconer. She had often heard of and laughed at the superstition of the Halloween mirror, as a looking glass in a moonlit room on this night is called. As soon as she reached her bedroom, she saw that one circumstance at any rate was favorable. A long moonbeam streamed in at a side window and fell so near the looking glass that in a minute or two, it would shine right into it. Oh. <laughs> this is like something from like, Tolkien's Lord of the Ring or something, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Or like the uh, the Indiana Jones with the... Oh, yeah, that has seen like that too, didn't it? Yeah. Yes, right. Okay. Madge had brought the apple with her to munch before the glass, but she forgot all about this part of the ceremony as her thoughts brought back to her the memory of Ralph Morgan. Aww. And it's an apple. <laughs> it's another apple. Yep. Well, she probably just bobbed for it. She's probably on uh, yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. She's probably getting the carpet all messed up she probably that's probably why she went to her room to get a different like, oh, change maybe. of clothes or maybe. a towel yeah because you wouldn't want to have a wet bustle contest no no that's <laughs> not proper she remembered too that her 21st birthday was almost at hand and a sudden emotion of tenderness came over her as she thought of her absent lover and his long patience she felt certain that he still hoped she would be his wife but as for herself she doubted much if she any longer loved him in return. Oh. No. <laughs> She's like, oh, I'm so glad somebody loves me. I don't really care. I don't really care about the guy. I'm just glad he loves me, though. Still makes me feel good. Yeah, still yeah. makes... I still get the attention. Yeah. Even though it's imaginary attention. I haven't seen him for don't seven years. Don't even actually know seven if he loves her. <laughs> As a matter of fact, a certain tender affection was all she experienced toward Ralph the girlish passion having completely died away. A burst of laughter from downstairs brought Madge out of her reverie. She felt inclined to laugh at her own foolishness and was just about to rejoin her friends without looking into the glass when she suddenly yielded to an irresistible influence and passed rapidly toward it. She looked eagerly into it but saw nothing save her own pale face and startled eyes. Suddenly, she grew chill with horror as she distinctly saw another face close to her own, a face that she did not know and of a type altogether different from that of Ralph Morgan. Even in her sickening dread, she noticed a peculiar scar over the right eyebrow, such as she had never seen in anyone she had ever met. The next moment, she fainted. (laughs) (laughs) And a little later, her alarmed friends found her lying insensible on the floor. When she came round again, she managed to pass the whole thing off as a stupid fright she had given herself when in an overexcited state. And in a short time, everyone except herself forgot all about the incident. A few days after her birthday, Madge received two letters from India. Hmm. One from Ralph Morgan, who was now a partner in the Bombay branch of the firm, and one from an aunt, a Mrs. Martin, who resided in the same city. The former letter she fancied strangely cold, and she could not help feeling that Ralph was writing more out of duty than from affectionate impulse. Hmm. Well, he is British after all. <laughs> <laughs> The latter was an invitation to Madge to go and live with Mrs. Martin and her husband for a year, or for as long as she felt inclined. To make my friend's narrative as short as possible, I may briefly state that after much consideration, Madge Falconer decided to accept her aunt's invitation, while she explained to Ralph Morgan 
that nothing could be decided until after they had met again. Because maybe she's going to get herself some brown honey here in yeah. India. Something. Yeah. <laughs> or a scar. This, yeah, the yeah. scar dude. Some, like, hunky Bollywood actor. <laughs> mm-hmm. In due time, she reached Bombay. But at the very first interview, the two former lovers perceived that some radical change had taken place in each other. Before a month had elapsed, Madge frankly told the young man that she could not marry him, and it was with real pleasure she learned that to Ralph also their mutual agreement was welcome. <laughs> so it sounds like he was oh. like, Woo, okay. Woo, well, I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. How about a scone? <laughs> Some coffee from Ceylon? <laughs> yeah, freshly picked. A few months later, the latter married. What? The latter. Wait. They got married? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, let's let's, let's look back at this. Okay, so. In due time, she reached Bombay, but at the very first interview, the two former lovers perceived that some radical change had taken place in each other. Before a month had elapsed, Madge frankly told the young man that she could not marry him, and it was with real pleasure she learned that to Ralph also, their mutual agreement was welcome. Okay. 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 A few months later, the latter married. The latter married. Oh. So, Ralph. Ralph. That's yes. why he was relieved. He had somebody else. Oh, snap. Because she was, like, biding her time, hoping to get somebody else. And meanwhile, <laughs> he, he picked he it up. Yeah, already. <laughs> yeah. He's cheating. And oh, she's like, apple. oh, no, you don't say no to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, snap apple. <laughs> <laughs> A few months later, the latter married. Madge shrewdly suspecting that the young lady had been the main factor in Ralph's readiness to break off his long engagement. Yep. Mm. But... But they were engaged? Oh, that's right. He penciled it in. Yeah. (laughs) Penciled it in, yeah. But before this marriage took place, Madge met at the house of her aunt a certain Major Colville. On their first meeting, his face puzzled her greatly. She knew she had seen it before but could not recollect where. Suddenly, a memory flashed through her mind. On only one face had she ever seen such a scar as that over the right eyebrow of Major Colville, a scar which in the latter's case had been caused by a bullet in one of the battles during the Sikh War. Dang, that's B.A. Yeah. (laughs) He dodged a bullet over... Check <laughs> out this or something. Yeah, like a little bit closer would have yeah just definitely him killed him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like this is almost the end of the article here, so we're wrapping it up. Yeah. So it was with a strange and uncomfortable sense of something eerie that she remembered the face in that looking glass last Hallamus Eve. That face and the face of Major Colville were absolutely identical. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. Perhaps this strange fact predisposed the girl in the young major's favor, you think? (laughs) In any case, the result was that not long after Ralph Morgan's marriage, Madge Falconer became Mrs. Colville. Mrs. Colville. This was the strange story told me by my friend. The names are altered... But the personages signified are all living. Madge was the narrator's own sister, and he informed me that even yet Mrs. Colville felt troubled at times at the mysterious event, that memorable Halloween. Jeez. So apparently the, all, that whole story about that was told well on the ship. Mm-hmm. That, it must have yeah, been. That's, that's yeah. what's happened, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the ship... So, yeah, okay. So what the at-sea part was, is kind of not like cultural traditions of maritime like halloween but he was just on a ship mm-hmm. they were traveling mm-hmm. maybe they wanted to celebrate maybe that was one of those like because it was in the scottish one that they had all these other traditions that they uh-huh. listed and it wasn't until he was at sea that he heard the mirror one because he's on the ship now true yeah that's where he stored that's where he heard the story yeah yeah, yeah that's so. for sure yeah, I was I was hoping to get some like 19th century pirate Halloween traditions. Yeah. Right? That would have been fun. 
course, the the dancing around all dressed up sounded mm-hmm. like it probably been would have been cool to watch. Mm-hmm. And we never did find out the ethnicity of that poor odd man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> poor dude. It was the 19th century. It was probably anti-Semitism, but mm-hmm. <laughs> could have been anything, really. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Well, we don't, but he did. <laughs> the writer. That was the other thing I liked about it is mm-hmm. whenever he talks about himself, he always referred to himself as the writer and not his name or whatever, just the writer. Mm-hmm. It seemed like that was kind of like a 19th century thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like the same era, like Dickens was writing, and he'd address you as gentle reader and that kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think nice. it was just kind of like a convention. But there we go. We Very finished cool. it. One more Halloween down. Mm-hmm. How are we going to... Okay, so all of us here are already married. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all of the divination activities are basically pointless to us, right? Unless... I wonder if they would work and they would just show the person you've already married. Oh, empirical verification. There you go. <laughs> so we need a mirror. We need uh, a shaft a of moonlight. Hole, yeah. <laughs> Some in- m- melted lead and a bucket of water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, I'm going to go down to the co-op tomorrow and get me some bear's grease for my hair, I think. Nice. <laughs> and what was it? Barley? Stitch some barley into a... The barley brie? Was that the barley where you sew it into a packet? Oh. Or what was that one? I don't remember that part. Do you know? I don't remember what that one was for. It was, there was the corn one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, No, no, no. In the barn. Oh. With the corn where you have to, um, like, like you're cutting down the corn and then you're, the ghost comes Oh, the winnowing? Yeah. Yeah, the winnowing part. And then after that, there was one. Yeah, the hemp seed. Hemp seed. Hemp seed. There you go. Yeah. Go find I could definitely get hemp seed at the co-op. Yeah. <laughs> there you have it. That's Scottish Halloween traditions and at sea, quote unquote, Halloween at traditions. Sea. Well, thank you very much, Pete and Megan, for being on the show. Thank no problem. you. Thank yeah. you so much. I don't you know. You add the listener. Folks, if you like what we're doing here, why not support the show? You can get your portrait drawn in the time period and culture of your choosing by supporting the show at www.patreon.com forward slash dead ideas pod you guys got any ideas for your halloween costumes for andre's party this year oh for andre's one i don't know about andre's one but later in the month we're going to a pun Uh halloween party party. oh yeah because last year you did a pun party too Mm -hmm. nope okay um and i have mine picked out okay i'm very excited about it so the costume has to incorporate a pun somehow, it does. right? Okay. The yes. winner of last year yeah. went as a giant moth, but she was wearing designer clothes and carrying out very homecky stuff. She went as Mothra Stewart. <laughs> okay. And she yeah. had this whole persona. It was mm-hmm. wonderful. And she stuck to it the whole I'm, night. Oh, oh wow. I'm big in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's hear your pun. Sorry. So mine is going to be part ghost mm-hmm. and part bumblebee. So it's going to be boobies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too immature for this oh. show. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> nice. You're going as boobies. I'm going as boobies. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. very good. Mm-hmm. Do you See, have an idea? Well, I have two. To go with the bee theme, I was thinking of going as a zombie. Uh-huh, okay. But, what, but what's the zombie? Just going as a zombie, but it's a bee. But a bee zombie, so okay. So it's a bee zombie, but okay. but the best one um, it is a piece of paper that's ripped. Uh-huh. Because it's a terrible pun. Uh, <laughs> that one. That's yep. the one. That's the one. Like Giant that. piece of paper that's yeah. torn. Terrible pun. <laughs> Well, I don't have a pun party to go to, but Andre and Jen are putting on. Yeah, as yeah. you know. Yep. And they're gonna have they're gonna tell ghost stories. So I'm like, ha 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 ha. Now, is this one you you found or one that happened to you? Oh, I don't have any ghost stories that happened oh. to me. Oh, okay. Well, I kind of do. Actually, I have not. It's, it wasn't a real ghost. This was just like I was really freaking tired and I hallucinated. But oh. okay, I'll tell it real quick. So 
Uh, this was before I met Rachel, but after I went to Malaysia. And then I came back, and I was all jet-lagged, and I was at my parents' place. And, like, I was jet-lagged, so I was just, like, totally out of it. And just, like, oh, I gotta lay down here in the middle of the day. And I just, like, hit the bed. And before, and I pulled the covers over me, and it was, like, this big, thick quilt. And before I even closed my eyes, my mind was already dreaming. Whoa. Because I heard this weird chanting. Like, that was like, and I looked down and in the kind of shadowy crease underneath, like made by the the thick quilt over me, I could see like just the bottom of a person's face. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I was like, oh, and then it just disappeared. And I was like, wow, I'm really tired. (laughs) Really tired. (laughs) That's the closest thing I have to a ghost story. Nice. Do you have any? Yes. Really? That, yeah. Okay. That happened to me. Okay. Um, so there's a theater um, in one of the towns near where I grew up that uh, my family always did plays at. And okay. there was apparently a ghost that haunted the theater. It's one of these old okay. um, opera houses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she would, the ghost is a woman, used okay. to be a actress there was the story and she would turn on lights and move stuff or whatever okay so she's poltergeisty yep Mm -hmm. yep um so i was in this play and funny enough in the play i played a woman who could actually talk to ghosts in the play oh okay so i figured this helped the situation she thought oh hey here someone i can Anyways. Yeah, being an actress, she understands, like, the layers of meaning and all the the meta-ness of it. She's Mm -hmm. like, oh, yes, this is very theoretical, high art. Yep, this is someone I can talk to. This will be a high haunting. Yep. (laughs) High haunting. So, after one of the performances, um, the way the back of the theater is set up, there's, like, a green room and then a set of stairs that goes up to the dressing rooms. Uh Uh-huh. And really old building that the doors don't all fit right or anything like that. Okay. So I'm the last one kind of cleaning off my makeup. Mm -hmm. And I hear noises upstairs, like somebody's up there, and I didn't think anything of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I come out, and the director says, oh, can you shut off the lights? You're the last one. Okay. And I'm like, what? But so I go back, and the lights are already off. And I poke my head up, and lights are off. There's definitely nobody up there, but I was hearing noises. And I realized afterwards what I was hearing was the door on the women's dressing room Mm -hmm. being opened and closed over and over and over again. Oh, creepy. So. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those where it's not like, you know, a really loose door where it would just it's not like that, rattling in the wind. No, it was like it scrapes on the carpet uh-huh. when you try and open it. So it was scraping on the carpet over and over again. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. How about you, mm-hmm. Pete? Well, our apartment's been doing had last year before we got. Wait, the apartment, the apartment that you're in now oh, yeah. is haunted. Well, well but <laughs> it stopped since we got Eddie. Like since we got our cat. So the ghost doesn't like cats. Apparently. But because like <laughs> Maybe in the allergic. middle. That could be. <laughs> there is uh, something. There yeah, is something like in the middle about of... how spirits and cats are mm. connected. Or... Yeah, because like in the middle of the night, like the closet door would just randomly start knocking. Mm-hmm. And same with the door to, to the bedroom. Mm-hmm. And the creepiest ones were when you're in the bathroom taking a shower. If she's not there... Somebody would knock on the door. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what? But Wait, so like you're the only one in the apartment. Only one in the Megan's apartment. gone and you hear a knocking. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or we're both in bed. The closet or the door would knock. And this is before you had the cat. Before so we, we had, had the cat. The cat. No. Yeah. Before we had the cat. And then and we got first Eddie. We, at first we thought it was just like humidity changes or things like that. Mm-hmm. But it it would happen like... Spring, fall, but since we got Eddie, like the knocking has stopped, and but she's still. You know how every now and then the cats will track something. Mm-hmm. You're, they're the weirdest ones are when you'll she'll 
instead of hearing the knocking at the door mm-hmm. after a shower, you'll come out and she's there standing at the door watching out like you're, she's protecting the shower <laughs> it, or the bathroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that's ever happened to me, but <laughs> who knows what it was. Could be just our neighbor going. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So there you go, listeners. <laughs> you got, got some got ghost ex- stories. Extra bonus stories here. Yeah. <laughs> so. I could keep going. I got lots more. So Let's save them for next year. Yeah, we have to have a ghost story one at some point. Okay. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think with that, that's a good note to end on. So... Everybody, thank you for listening. Happy Halloween. Many a hallowed eve. Many a many a hallowed eve to you. May you find your lover in the uh, looking glass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or the or the pail of water with lead. Or your kale. Yes. Oh, the kaling. Oh, the kaling. I think we could make that a comeback with the hipsters like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. hipster horror movie. The yeah. kaling. <laughs> <laughs> All or right. market, marketed a special kale that you can yeah. tell the future with. Yeah. All right. Thank you, everybody. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas.